Howdy folks and welcome to episode number 8 of Double the Tea with your favorite host, Trenton. And Trinity. We're so excited to be here for episode number 8. This is the very first episode you guys are getting where we are recording basically live because we, well, I waited until the day of to decide that we needed to record this here episode. Today we got a lot in store for you, including Priscilla, the rest of the Addicted Slash Callaway Sister series, and we're even talking about Double the Tea. I'm going to get out of this stupid accent. <laughs> but... Me and Trinity are both very excited to be we here today. We are. Um, today is National Raisin Bran Cereal Day, if anybody Ooh. cares. Um, as well as um, National Educational Support Professionals Day. I don't know. Okay. I just figured since Trinity is a teacher, that might have something to yes. do with it. Yes. And <laughs> it is also National Young Readers Week. And I feel like that. That just fits me so well. You just picked all the good ones, babe. <laughs> and then, um, we have a birthday today. A lot of people know him. A lot of people hate him. Jeffrey Star. Mm. No matter what anybody thinks about him, his palettes are a one. Um, I got the Pink Religion palette like in February. It was amazing. It did its job. She worked hard for me. I worked hard for her. We slayed. And yeah, that's all I have to say. <laughs> so, Priscilla. Oh boy. I saw Priscilla three times. Yes, you did. Trinity. Mm -hmm. Um, once with one of my other good friends, Kenzie. Loved it so much. <laughs> like I honestly, there's probably not enough good words I could say about Priscilla. That's how much I liked it. Um, Trinity, on the other hand, <laughs> she has some biased opinions. Um, biased? I don't know, like I <laughs> Okay. I think my opinions are very valid. We try to like not really debate on this off of the podcast. So you that, guys are getting it raw. This is the wrong. raw version of us debating about the Priscilla movie. Like this is unedited, unfiltered, un everything. You're just getting it flat out. So I'm just gonna let Trinity start because I feel like hearing her opinions first will be easier for me to go off of. <laughs> I mean, I am the one who like knows a little bit more about Elvis and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, so going to see Priscilla, I tried to stay as unbiased as I could walking into the movie theater. I tried to stay as, you know, I love Elvis. Priscilla has done some stuff that I'm not a fan of. I'm not a big fan of Priscilla herself. I would love to meet her one day just because she is the closest person to Elvis that is still alive. And so I would love to meet her, but the thing is, there's a lot that she's doing that just... Ah. So, going into this movie, I told myself that I had to give it a fair shot. I had to give it a shot. I had to give it the whole kind of, let's just go into it with a clean slate and we'll see how it goes. My main issue with this movie is that in a lot of the scenes, and Trent has a big opinion on this too, but in a lot of the scenes where things would go wrong between Elvis and Priscilla, it would cut off in a way that made it look like Elvis was only bad. It made it look like, because it never really showed him saying like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Or not that sorry, like, but it makes it look like he is a bigger villain than he was. Like he would lose his temper, but he never like, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? 
it just cut off and didn't show a lot of the scenes fully through. That was kind of my main issue with the movie. I felt like with a lot of the scenes, we would get halfway through it. And then I'd be like, oh, we're going to get the rest of this scene. And then it would black out and go to the next one. Did you kind of feel the same way? Do, do we have the same opinion on that, at least? Yeah, a lot of it, though, like, even parts that it didn't show, but, like, you told me that were, like, going on in the movie, mm-hmm. but that weren't shown. It kind mm-hmm. of pissed me off that they didn't show them. Yes! because But we kind of have different opinions on this, because the scene at the end, we won't really talk about that, because no. we might get cut off on that no. if we do. Yeah. But you know that yeah um let let me explain very very quickly there is a scene if you watch the movie elvis and me it's from i believe the 80s um priscilla had elvis and me made into a movie it was either 80s or 90s and that is like a raw kind of version of the book and it follows the book elvis and me a lot closer this movie kind of picked and chose like it was kind of like a pick and choose kind of thing and it was like what the director wanted to show it wasn't this is their full story you make your own opinion about him it was very much in my brain this is what i want to show this is the bad side of elvis now was priscilla connected to the elvis and me movie in any way like was she a producer or anything on the other elvis and me movie i know that she had final say on it but i don't know if she was a producer or anything which is also what gets me with this movie i'm trying not to yell but what gets me with this movie is Priscilla was a producer, if I'm correct on this. She was a producer. And she let the narrative of Elvis being a villain go further. And it even in my brain, I was like, you couldn't have even showed the side of him where even when he did lose his temper and get mad and yes, there was a fight. Yes, he said and did some things. There was only one moment, one or two moments in that movie where he actually said, like, I'm so sorry, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it was in the scene, if you have not seen the movie, I'm trying not to give too many details, but Trent, you know what I'm talking about with the suitcase and the clothes. And he said sorry and was like, never mind, like, whatever. But to me... In a lot of these other scenes, he also said sorry. He also talked to her about it. They had a conversation, whatever. And in this movie, it just blacked out. I could go on about it for hours. I get, Trinity, I get that you do love Elvis. I'm in love with the man. But for me personally, what I thought was they actually, they probably did a better job at painting him in as good of a light as they could if you ask me because obviously priscilla had more to do with this movie yeah and by what you have told me and what i've seen because i did try to watch a little bit of elvis and me on youtube yeah they actually make him seem more of a villain in that movie see in that movie the reasoning that i don't have as much of an issue with that movie is because they show it fully through. They show the whole book. Like, 90, about, I would say about 95% of the details that are in Elvis and Me, the book, are in that movie. So she didn't leave anything out. She didn't just, you know, pull the pieces that she was like, oh, I want this in there, and I want that in there. But I let's leave this part out. 
Right. You get what I mean? But to an extent, it's like, even if he did apologize, it's like, it still happened. True. But there's also a lot of sweet moments that are in Elvis and me, the book, that were left out. There were a lot of sweet things that he did for her that were left out. Yeah. It's just the, the bad side. Like, everybody knows who Elvis is, so all they've ever seen of him is the good side. Mm, debatable, but yeah, in some ways. I mean, it's like... I kind of love this because I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't want to argue with you. But no, no, also, no. We've never argued on the podcast. <laughs> so it's kind of nice that we can. Maybe some wouldn't call this arguing. No, but debating. between me but and him, we don't argue very often. I disagree like with this. you, Trini. Oh, here's the thing. Because here's my, here's what I think. I, like I said, I do think that they could have made him seem like more of a villain. Like they kind of did in the Elvis and me movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I know, like you were saying, like there were like more sweet moments in the book that they didn't show. Although you were saying like, he did apologize. He did do this, but it did show that in Priscilla. So like, I don't know. It just was weird. You kind of meaning like you just wish they wouldn't have even included the bad scene no 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 no. i'm just saying i wish they would have also included more of the sweet side sweet side the things that he did because they did show like him getting her the car and the puppy and the all that kind of stuff but like they were so sweet together like when they were together even in germany they went on dates sometimes and there's a whole scene in elvis and me where he literally got out of maneuvers i think it was maneuvers in the snow and said that he like they said he was sick and he faked being sick in the hospital so that he could take her out for like a day or two before he had to go back to America not in this movie and so it just to me there are moments like that where you get this like Elvis and Priscilla why they were good together right and this movie just shows a 14 year old girl who is naive and who Elvis changed her look and yes you know he did some little things that were sweet but he changed her look he gave her pills he did this he did that and I'm like bro and in reality she didn't take sleeping pills ever again and she barely took the other pills from what she said everywhere else. And something else that Shady, that Trinity told me about. Oh, boy. Is when Priscilla's dad blackmailed Elvis. Why was that not in the movie? Literally. Okay. Here's the thing. Elvis, from what I have heard, I, sir, I heard in an interview that one of his buddies did. I think it was one of his friends. Did um, after he died saying that Elvis never wanted to marry Priscilla. He had tried to get out at one point of his relationship with her and priscilla's father came to him and said if basically said this is not like a direct quote or anything but had essentially said if you break it off with her and you don't marry her now you were with her when she was a 14 year old girl we were kind of against it but like you know, we still let you date our daughter because they could have said no. Her parents could have done more. If my daughter was 14 years old I don't, and, and a 24-year-old wanted her, I'd be like, get away. Get out of my house. I don't even care if you are Elvis Presley. Like, now, me being a 14, like, if I was 14 and Elvis came up to me, I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, okay, let's go. But here's the thing. They could have done more. So then her dad going to Elvis and basically saying, I could have you thrown in jail. I, you could go to jail for this 
how screwed up is that? Even though he literally let his daughter move to America while they were in Germany to live with Elvis Presley. What? What? And I get that Priscilla didn't want to let it go, but she literally waited years for Elvis to call her back, and he finally called her back, and she got all giddy and was like, I'm going to go now, which I would have done it too, but after two years, I would have been like, bro, right? what? It's been like a couple years. Like, it's been a solid amount of time. What? Aside from them, like, cutting things out and stuff and not including, like, the full scenes, like, Sorry, we went on a long tangent about that one. We did. Um, I don't know what Trinity thinks. Oh, boy. I thought Haley Spaney was perfect. I thought she was perfect. I don't even know. Trinity has watched all these clips (laughs) with Priscilla and stuff. I don't know really anything near near anything. Like, he knows, like, nothing about Priscilla. But here's the thing. It doesn't even matter to me. I don't even care, honestly. Ooh. Sorry. I don't even care what really happened. She did a great job. I thought she was a great actress. I, I thought Jacob Valorty was phenomenal as Elvis. So I'm I'm not saying that they were terrible. I saw the movie twice for a reason. If I thought they were terrible, I would have told you no the second time you said, let's go. Guys, he literally pulled me on a Thursday night at a 9 p.m. showing. I had worked the next day and everything. And I was like, let's, okay, let's go. And we went. And it was pretty fun because we had a theater to ourselves. So in the middle of this movie, we're literally debating things and how this movie's going. It was, it was awesome. Am I wrong? Like, I thought it was really fun. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. With this movie... I still think Austin Butler is the, like, top-tier superior Elvis. But I will say that Jacob Elordi looks a little more like Elvis in the face than Austin Butler does, in a way. But when it comes to Austin Butler, and this is why, that movie, and this is the difference between, we're going to talk, I think, in one episode about the Elvis movie, too. Just to kind of, you know. Yes. So you'll hear more about my commentary on him in that. But to keep it short and sweet when it comes to the Elvis movie, that movie evoked so many emotions in me. I sobbed like a baby at times. I was laughing. I felt like I was watching, like, watching that movie was incredible. Like, I have never seen someone pull Elvis to life like that. And just, I mean, even the stage performances were incredible. He figured out how to sound kind of like Elvis and everything. And for Jacob Elordi, he's kind of a couple levels down for me because the only performance clip that they had of him in there, I was like, what is happening? (laughs) What? I will agree. The performance clip was like... It was weird! Below average. It was so weird. But... But his acting was not bad. Both of them side by side. Jacob, his his Elvis was more realistic to me. See, and and mm-hmm. I am not in any way saying Austin Butler was a bad Elvis because I do not think he was. I think he did a great job. 
I do just think his Elvis voice was a little more theatrical and less realistic than Jacob Lordy. And that is not me saying that it was a bad performance or no, anything I get that. like that. I think both of them did great. Personally, I just prefer Jacob's. See, I think we both prefer different ones, which is totally fine. I think Jacob was not bad, but I think that he, like, watching him versus watching Austin, to me, is like watching Night and Day. Really? Like, in a way, because Austin did so much for that role that you can, you can just, I hate when people say that they could feel the spirit of Elvis through people, because I'm like, I get it, but also like, hmm, I don't hate it. I just, it's not my favorite thing. Let me say that. Right. But with Austin, I felt like a lot of the things he was doing, I was watching Elvis in a way. Like, it felt like he perfectly just encapsulated Elvis. And Jacob did a pretty good job. But there were just moments that I was like, mm-hmm. I know Trinity disagrees with me, but can we just, uh, you can okay. keep Austin Butler in the Elvis movie. But can we go back and revamp it and take out the girl who plays Priscilla and replace her with Kaylee Singh? I mean, honestly, I wouldn't be Thank mad you. at that. But hang on. She wasn't mad either. But... No, I need to know. Here's the thing for me, though, too, and the difference with, like, this movie. And, like, we'll, I feel like next time that we talk about the Elvis movie, we'll get into more comparing the Elvis movie to Priscilla, kind of, with some of the scenes. But you have to admit that the scene where, and any everyone who knows Elvis in Priscilla's story knows that Priscilla divorced Elvis and left him. The scene where she left him was so much more intense and better and just, oh my God, in the, in Elvis, the movie. Elvis movie. Agree, Priscilla, it just felt like it was not there. No, It felt like was she wasn't scene, leaving him. Okay, this is also what I'll say. Trinity is the same way too because I love that they used Dolly Parton's I Will Always Love You for the last yes. But the Yes. I have a comment on that in a second. The movie ended on such like a terrible... I didn't like it. Like, we were like, that was literally the end. Like, are you kidding me? It was, yep. I'm sorry, but for me, if I'm seeing a movie, I want everything to be big and dramatic. Exactly. And the end it just was uh, not giving for me. But I will say, how do you pronounce it? Coppola? Coppola? Sophia? Sophia Coppola? Coppola. She, no matter what anyone thinks of the movie itself, the, like, production. It was good. Was amazing. The soundtrack yeah, was, it was amazing. Good. I just love the aesthetic of things. So for me, it was perfect. And I did also see that Jacob Bellorty like ate so much bacon on the he set, did. which I think he is pretty did. funny. Because Elvis ate a lot of bacon. I would literally be puking my guts out. Elvis, know? why do you? Okay, I love Mr. Elvis Presley. We all know this at this point. I am, oh my god, head over heels in love with a man who died so long before I was born. It's not even funny. But here's the thing. Why do you think he looked the way he looked before he died? It was the drugs and the food choices and the drink choices. That's true. What he ate and drank, people have done challenges where they're like, let's eat like Elvis Presley for a day. And they don't even make it through half the day because what he ate in half a day was what a normal person eats in like four meals. I do know, though, that before Lisa Marie passed away, she didn't want this movie to be made. No, she did not. 
She didn't. Because she said it painted her dad in a terrible light. Does, and she does, would never does anybody, forgive. Does anyone know, like, Priscilla. what she thought of the Elvis and Me movie? She loved it. She loved Austin. Aus- or Elvis and Me. I thought you said Elvis. Sorry. Elvis and Me, I don't know. I would have to look into that. But it's that, but it's also the fact that Elvis and Me showed the whole book. And this was, it was, it was, it was so, it it just, like I was saying, or Lisa Marie had a similar opinion of, it, it painted her dad like a villain and didn't give him much of a, oh, oh, the family is so messy because when Lisa Marie died, the estate was supposed to go, like Priscilla thought it would stay with her and blah, 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 even though it was already, or Priscilla thought it would stay with her, even though it was already like kind of Lisa Marie's. And then when Riley Keough, who played Daisy Jones and Daisy Jones and the Six, for those of you who don't know, that's Elvis Presley's granddaughter. Um, when she was like, you know, whatever, and talking about it, she now owns Graceland, I'm pretty sure. And they're doing like a TV special and all this different stuff. But like, because of it, Lisa Marie, or Lisa Marie, Priscilla and Riley haven't really spoken much since then. Because it's a whole thing. Because Priscilla's mad about a lot of stuff. And she's mad that Riley got her request denied to have somebody dug up in the meditation garden so that she could be buried there. Because she can be buried in the meditation garden. She just can't have his dad, his grandma, or his mom, or his brother dug up to do it. What I will say is I feel Priscilla, she's done enough. She's had a book. She's had two movies. If she comes out with anything else, (laughs) I'm going to be so mad. I think we're good. I don't think we need So mad. I do want to super quickly circle back, though, and just say when you said I will always love you at the end, that in my brain that was a nod to the fact that elvis wanted to sing i will always love you and dolly parton refused to give 50 percent of the royalties because she didn't give that to anybody or it might have been more than that and so the colonel said because she wouldn't give a certain percentage of the royalties that elvis couldn't sing it oh yeah and so dolly parton was like i would have loved to hear elvis sing that song but I that was my song like I wrote it and I wrote it to Porter Wagner as my goodbye from the Porter Wagner show and I just can't I can't give that much of my song away either way I love the movie I saw it three times I thought it was pretty okay what's your opinion on it let us know in the comments yes that's all we have for Priscilla today Trinity is is now off to finish the rest of her um addicted slash Callaway sister series so take it away Miss Trinity Okay, I'm gonna be fully honest with y'all. I have not finished the rest of this series. I know I'm a terrible, terrible person, but I have started listening to Thrive again. Um, I am getting my way through it. I will tell you that in Thrive, it is the events of what happened in Kiss the Sky and Hot House Flower just told from the perspective of Lilo, which is Lily and Lo you know lily lauren talked about him last time anyway it is about kind of what happened there but from their perspective because in the last books and if you have not read this series this is going to be spoilers i'm 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 spoiling so like if you don't want spoilers i'm gonna tell you that you're gonna want to fast forward (laughs) there's gonna be a lot in the so we already know that lauren was addicted to alcohol and Lily was addicted to sex and basically Lauren ended up in rehab getting help for that and Lily well Lily 
decided to try to be self-medicated and get herself unaddicted to sex. Didn't work out. So she started seeing a therapist and it was a whole thing. Yes, there are therapists for people who are addicted to sex. So that's a thing. I didn't realize until this book that that is a thing, but it's a thing. Um, I mean, I knew it probably was, but you know. And so when we move forward, this book, we had already gotten Lily and Lowe and like them getting in their relationship, all that. We talked about Connor and Rose. We talked about Daisy and Reich and all of that. Well, Thrive is basically Kiss. So Kiss the Sky was Connor and Rose. And it was Rose saying like, hey, yeah, let's do this reality show where we all move into a house together. And oh, this producer, he's going to move into and pretend to be my ex-boyfriend, even though I'm against that. But he's going to pretend to be my ex-boyfriend. And in doing that, it might drive a wedge between me and my boyfriend. You never know. And it just goes so wrong. And then Kiss the Sky, obviously, is Daisy and Reich and them getting together. But I will tell you, some of the scenes in Kiss the Sky are insane. And then Hot House Flower, like I said, Daisy and Reich. I think I said Kiss the Sky a second ago, but it's Hot House Flower. Here's the thing. It is um, absolutely insane because here's the thing. Rose is basically waiting... She hasn't had sex. It's a whole thing. And Connor gets her out of that shell. And Oh, I told y'all last week that everybody says he's better than Christian Grey. And I'm just going to go ahead and agree because, like, again, Fifty Shades, haven't watched, haven't read. But I've seen clips on TikTok. So, like, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, here's the thing. Thrive is going to be all of those events of, like, everything, but from their point of view. And I'm not ready for it, um, but I am because I need to know what was happening with Lily and Lowe because at some point Lowe relapsed and I don't know when he relapsed, but because of something, something happened and he relapsed. And all I know so far is I'm a couple chapters in and can I just say, um, essentially in the beginning of this book, she's out to dinner with Lowe and his brother Reich. And the paparazzi thinks that she's having, like, a secret kind of... She's having sex with his brother. She's with Lo, and the press thinks that she is having sex with Rick. And she's like, why did we even come out for my birthday? Like, we could have just stayed at home, because it is her birthday. And she's like, and... Did he have to invite you? Because Lo goes to see... He can get the blinds closed because there's press there. So he's like, did she's like, did he have to invite you? Like, seriously? And he's like, I'm I'm his brother. Like, yeah, he invited me. He just wanted to see if I want to come. And she's like, yes, but they already think that, like, we're having a side affair because the things that happen due to this reality show are that now the entire world is watching them, basically. Not entire world, but you know what I mean. Um, anyone who watches the show. So, like, people all over the world know who these people are now. Because, again, her dad is rich. He invented something like Coke or... It was, like, another soda called Fizzle. I think it's Fizzle. And, like, Lowe's dad is rich, too. I don't remember what he did. And, you know, Reich is the son, too. So, you know, he's popular by association. Anyway, <laughs> so that's this. And, like, the things... 
I mean, we're we're only a few chapters in. They already did it in the bathroom, and his dad walked into the office, and she was on her knees down doing some stuff, and she hid. And at the end of it, he literally looks at them, and um, he looks at them, and he makes a comment about the fact that, like, you know, <laughs> he goes. Also, word of advice, if you're going to have in your office, you really do need an assistant. <laughs> and so Lowe's face falls and he goes, like, he gives his dad a look and his dad's like, Lily, try not to breathe so heavily next time you give yourself away. And I'm like, oh, my God, because she's a sex addict who gets flustered really easily. Well, moving forward, Addicted After All is basically... From what I see, it's a continuation of Lily and Lauren. But on the back, it literally says her sex drive is out of control. So apparently Lily now <laughs> relapses? I don't know, but I do know that it's going to be good and it's going to be insane. I have been saving my Audible credits for this series because <laughs> I love it. Feel the Fire is... um. Connor and Rose again and mind you not at the end of the other book they like they got married okay it was supposed to be um Lily and Lo because of a whole thing but Connor and Rose end up married it's a whole thing so this is like a continuation of their story and I'm so excited because Connor and Rose are one of my favorite couples they're all my favorite couples okay I have three favorite couples but my favorite man is Lauren Hale anyway long way down is Daisy and Rake again and they have a seven year age difference, mind you not, which is not that bad at the right time in life. But she was 15 when they met. But nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. He like, it was a whole thing. Like nothing happened until I think she was 18 or 19. But it wasn't, it didn't start, I said it last time, it didn't start in a we should be in a relationship way. After some stuff that happened with the paparazzi, he became very protective over her because they had broken into her apartment and somebody was hiding in her bathroom when she came home one night. So now he sleeps in her apartment with her and then goes back home every morning because they live in the same building. And he protects her because when they all six lived in the house together, it was so easy for him to protect her. But now that they didn't, as soon as she turned 18, she moved out in an apartment right above his. So it's a whole thing. Now, moving forward, some kind of perfect. If you've ever wanted from, I've heard it's not confusing, but if you've ever wanted a book that has so many point of views, like points of view, it's not even funny. This book is all six of them, and it's an epilogue novel that just wraps everything up, okay? Like, it very much gives you that happy ending that you want. And it, from what I've heard, I'm just going to read the back of this to you. Falling in love was just the beginning. The conclusion to the epic 10-book series about the unbreakable strength of family, friendship, and love. Lily and Lo are back one final time. Childhood best friends and soulmates. Reich and Daisy are back one final time. Wild risk takers and flirty adventurers. Connor and Rose are back one final time. 
genius rivals and intellectual teammates. Ten years of laughter, one of heartache, and love. Let me just say, the fact that we get an epilogue novel that wraps everything up. Epilogue novels just make me so happy. Or even an epilogue that isn't set like three months in the future. That makes me happy too. Because when an epilogue is set like, oh my god, three months later. I'm like, bro, don't give me three months later. I don't want it. I read one book. It was 30 years later at the end of that book. 30 years and they were happy and had kids and their kids were grown up and they had grandkids. And I was like, this just satisfied everything that I needed. This was everything I needed from this book. And then knowing that there's a bad reputation duet, which I don't even fully remember who that's about. I think it's about Willow and Garrison. And I think Willow is like a sibling, secret sibling of one of them. I don't know. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Knowing that that happens, and then also knowing that there are 11 books about their children, Trenton. 11 books about their kids and their kids falling in love. And you get to see the core six as, like, they're old now and they have their own kids. It makes me want to cry. And the last, so that is my Addicted Calloway sister series. The last thing that I would like to say for the book segment today is if you liked hearing about Elvis and all of that kind of stuff, if you are an Elvis fan, I've said it before, I'll say it again, look up fan fiction on AO3, which is Archive of Our Own. Trenton hears about my fan fiction. He doesn't like hearing about my fan fiction, I don't think, but um, he hears about it anyway. When I tell you that my jaw has hit the floor so many times reading some of this fan fiction. I'm reading one right now that was over 24 hours long, and I think I have like nine hours left in it, or eight hours, seven hours, six hours. I don't know. It's called Keep Em, and it's by Lavender Lover on. <laughs> but let me tell you right now check what it's about. Check it all. If you're going to start a fan fiction, check it, because some of them are like you meeting Elvis or you being with Elvis, but some of them are like, Elvis with other people and your eyebrows went up Elvis with other people meaning like members of the Memphis Mafia if you know what that is or even Austin Butler at times in some of them so (laughs) check what you're reading because some of them are kind of innocent and some of them are like oh my god anyway that's all I've got for you book wise be sure to check out the Addicted slash Callaway Sister series it is coming out a new it got picked up by a publisher so there are new covers kind of and it is easier to find so it's awesome and it's all just labeled the addicted series now even though i still have the addicted calloway sister series separated i love it anyway continue on to trenton so today um i talked about in our last episode that we were just gonna do book today but we're actually going to um start half of our true crime segment this week and then we're going to wrap it up next week today we are talking about jeffrey dahmer you know him you hate him (laughs) but jeffrey so much to say about him it's i know like i hate to say this but like the most popular serial killers but like (laughs) 
there's we get more information about popular serial killers than we do like no names. Why do we have popular serial killers though? Like why do we make and why do people, people... romanticize serial killers? It's bro. Weird, but like... I'm sorry, but like the people that were like even Ted Bundy that were like, oh my god, I'm gonna go to the courthouse for this murderer and I'm gonna like dress up and I'm gonna be like, oh, you're so hot. Like I want you. What? Right. You're a serial killer. So we're kind of going to do what we did for the Ted Bundy episode where uh, me and Trinity are just going to take turns reading the slides. I'm going to start out. She's going to take over. And then about halfway through, Mm -hmm. we're going to wrap this episode up. And then you guys will hear from us again next week. So who was Jeffrey Dahmer? Jeffrey Dahmer was an American serial killer who took the lives of 17 men and boys between 1978 and 1991. Over the course of more than 13 years, Dahmer sought out his victims, mostly black men, at gay bars, malls, and bus stops, lured them home with promises of money or sex, and gave them alcohol laced with drugs before strangling them to death. He would then engage in sex acts with the corpses before dismembering them and disposing of them, often keeping body parts as souvenirs. He frequently took photos of his victims at various stages of the murder process, so he could recollect each act. <laughs> Sorry, so he could recollect each act afterward and relive the experience. Dahmer was captured in 1991 and sentenced to 16 life terms. He was killed by fellow prison inmate Christopher Scarver in 1994. Jeffrey Dahmer was born in Milwaukee on May 21, 1960, to Lionel and Joyce Dahmer. He was described as an energetic and happy child until the age of four, when a traumatic and painful recovery following surgery to correct a double hernia seemed to affect a change in the boy. Noticeably subdued, he became increasingly withdrawn following the birth of his youngest bro- younger brother and the family's frequent moves. By the time Dahmer was of school age, the family had moved to Ohio. From a young age, Dahmer developed a fascination with animal bones and studied how to be clean and preserve them. As a child, he collected large insects and the skulls of small animals preserved in jars of formaldehyde, according to the Brian Masters book of book, The Shrine of Jeffrey Dahmer. By his early teens, he was disengaged, tense, and largely friendless. Hmm. Dahmer claims that his compulsions toward necrophilia and murder began around the age of 14, but it appears that the breakdown of his parents' marriage and their acrimonious divorce a few years later might have been the catalyst for turning these thoughts into actions. His parents' numerous arguments and the constant tension in the house made Dahmer question the solidity of his family and life, according to Masters. Dahmer also started drinking at the age of 14, and by the time of his first killing at age 18, his alcohol consumption had spun out of control. He dropped out of Ohio State University after one quarter term, and his recently remarried father insisted that he join the army. Dahmer enlisted in late December 1978 and was posted to Germany shortly thereafter. His drinking problem persisted, and in 1981, the army discharged him. Although German authorities would later investigate possible connections between Dahmer and murders that took place in the area during that time, it is not believed that he took any victims while serving in the armed forces. Following his discharge, Dahmer returned home to Ohio. 
An arrest later that year for disorderly conduct prompted his father to send Dahmer to live with his grandmother, Catherine Dahmer, in Wisconsin. But his alcohol problem continued, and he was arrested the following summer for indecent exposure. He was arrested once again in 1986 when two boys accused him of masturbating in front of them. He received a one-year probationary sentence. Dahmer murdered 17 men between 1978 and 1991. He was careful to select victims on the fringes of society who were often in... Iterant. Iterant. <laughs> I've never heard that word, Trinity. Iterant. What, what does that mean? I'm kind of like... I've never, like, stopped the true crime segment mm, before. In... Iterant. Iterant. Okay, somebody comment down below what the hell that means. <laughs> we're borderline criminal making their disappearances less noticeable and reducing the likelihood of his capture. He lured them to his home with promises of money or sex and strangled them to death. He engaged in sex acts with their bodies and kept body parts and photos as souvenirs. His most popular nicknames were the Milwaukee Cannibal and the Milwaukee Monster, and they reflect his heinous crimes. Dahmer's first murder occurred just after graduating from Revere High School in June of 1978, when he picked up an 18-year-old hitchhiker named Stephen Hicks and took him home to his parents' house. Dahmer proceeded to get the young man drunk, and when Hicks tried to go, Dahmer said, I don't want him to leave, or I didn't want him to leave. Dahmer killed him by striking him in the head and strangling him with a barbell. Dahmer dismembered Hicks's corpse, packed the body parts in plastic bags, and buried them behind his parents' home. He later exhumed the remains, crushed the bones with a sledgehammer, and scattered them across a wooded ravine. It wasn't until September 1987 that Dahmer took his second victim, Stephen Tumoy. Tumoy? I don't know. They checked into a hotel room and drank, and Dahmer eventually woke to find Tumoy dead with no memory of the previous night's activities. He later said that he... He later intended to drug Tomoy but not kill him, and he could not believe this had happened. Dahmer bought a large suitcase to transport Tomoy's body to his grandmother's basement, where he dismembered and masturbated on the corpse before disposing of the remains. He kept Tomoy's head, which was wrapped in a blanket, for weeks after the murder. Dahmer later said that after Tomoy's killing, his obsession went into full swing, and he didn't even try to stop it after that. He killed two more victims at his grandmother's house before she forced him to move out in 1988. She had no knowledge of his crimes, but was tired of his drinking. His tendency to bring young men to her house and the foul smells occasionally coming from her basement, according to Masters. In September 1989, about a year after moving into his new apartment, Dahmer lured a 13-year-old Latin boy to his house, Loatian, sorry, boy to his house, claiming he wanted to take nude photos of him. This resulted in charges of sexual exploitation and second-degree sexual assault from Dahmer. He pleaded guilty, claiming that the boy had appeared much older. While awaiting sentencing for his sexual assault case, Dahmer again put his grandmother's basement to gruesome use. In March of 1989, he lured, drug, strangled, sodomized, photographed, dismembered, and disposed of Anthony Sears, an aspiring model. Dahmer found he did not want to lose him, and so Sears became the first victim from whom Dahmer kept preserved body parts for a long period of time, mummifying his head and genitals, according to Masters. 
At his trial for child molestation in May 1989, Dahmer was the model of contrition, arguing eloquently in his own defense about how he had seen the error of his ways and that his arrest marked a turning point in his life. His defense counsel argued that he needed treatment, not incarceration, and the judge agreed, handing down a one-year prison sentence on day release, allowing Dahmer to work at his job during the day and return to prison at night, as well as a five-year probationary sentence. Years later, in an interview with CNN, Lionel Dahmer stated that he wrote a letter to the court that issued the sentence, requesting psychological help before his son's parole. However, Dahmer was granted an early release by the judge after serving only 10 months of his sentence. He briefly lived with his grandmother following his release, during which time he does not appear to have added to his body count before moving back into his own apartment. Over the next two years, Dahmer would kill 12 more people, bringing his total victim count to 17. His first victim during this time was a prostitute named Raymond Smith, whom Dahmer lured to his apartment for sex, gave a drink laced with sleeping tablets, and then strangled. Dahmer took photos of his body in suggestive positions before dismembering him. With his next victim, Edward Smith, Dahmer accidentally destroyed his skull while trying to dry it in the oven, making it explode. He later told police he felt rotten about Smith's murder because he was unable to keep anything from his body, making it feel like a true waste, according to Masters. And that is where we are leaving off on this episode of Double the Tea with your favorite hosts, Trenton and Trinity. We are so excited that we got through another great episode. Mm-hmm. Tune in next week to hear the rest of our Dahmer series. Um, Please do. As well as Double the Tea because we have yes. Double the Tea for you. Anything else you would like to add, Miss Trinity? I don't think I have anything. I do not either. This was another amazing day, amazing episode. We love you guys so much. Make sure to rate us five stars yes, on please. Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. And we will see you later.